Welcome to the Pro-Life Team podcast. I'm here with Donna, and we're going to be talking about the abortion pill, the, the first pill, the second pill, and when the second pill is used as the only pill. We're also going to be going over the Hippocratic Oath and how that can be brought back in in today's world. So, so Donna, um, so I, I would like for you to introduce yourself in a way that would make sense to executive directors and, and nurse, um, essentially medical team leaders uh, uh, at pregnancy clinics across the country. How would you introduce yourself to that, that group? Okay, I'm, uh, I'm Dr. Donna Harrison. I'm a board certified obstetrician gynecologist and I'm the, the CEO of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And we, work, we have about 7,000 members, including pregnancy care center directors and pregnancy care centers themselves as organizational members. And we exist to equip you to be able to make an evidence-based defense for both the pregnant uh, woman and her unborn child. So we uh, comb the peer-reviewed medical literature and let you know how abortion affects women. And it's a, it's a scientific argument uh, to defend women because abortion really hurts women. And, and then specifically, I wanted to talk to you today about the, I'm not sure if I would call it a, well, I'm not sure what, what adjective to use, but the do-it-yourself abortion problems that exist in the world. And then some, and also, can you explain, well, maybe we should start by trying to describe the, you know, describe the, um, where do-it-yourself abortions exist? And then maybe describe like what it is, and then we can talk a little bit about uh, more ideas regarding do-it-yourself at-home abortions. Okay. Well, the do-it-yourself abortion is the end game of the abortion industry. Uh, and right now, um, the drugs used for do-it-yourself abortion are two most commonly used. One is Mifeprex, uh, which is a, a progesterone blocker, and the other is mesoprostol, which is Cytotec. So with the Mifeprex do-it-yourself abortion regimen, you take Mifeprex and then you follow that by mesoprostol. With the mesoprostol do-it-yourself abortion regimen, you take just mesoprostol alone, large doses. So those are unfortunately currently available online at about over 75 different websites where a woman can log in without any physical exam, without any prescription and access Mifeprex. But what's even worse is that any pimp can do that as well and any abusive boyfriend. And so there's, when you talk about do-it-yourself abortion, the consequences are horrendous. So let me jump into one of the scenarios. So what happens if a woman is far along in her pregnancy and she goes for the end game piece where that's the second pill as the only pill, mm -hmm. um, what, what, what happens in that scenario? Well, mesoprostol, which is Cytotec, which is the second pill, that causes the uterus to contract. So she will put herself into labor. And sometimes the baby dies in that process and sometimes the baby doesn't. And a lot of times the placental tissue doesn't separate. And so she ends up with massive hemorrhage. So this is a really dangerous thing for a woman to do uh, late in pregnancy. Okay, that's so. And where do most of these women end up um, experiencing this? You know, is this usually in their home in their in their bathroom by themselves? Like, how does you know? Do we have any idea of you know? you know, the, the added danger of them not having, essentially doing it by themselves and not doing it in a medical facility with the ability to get help from medical professionals? Well, that's, that's kind of a complicated question and I'll tell you why. The information that we have on the complications from Mifeprex abortion is very poor because there's no systematic tracking of it other than what the manufacturer of Mifeprex wants to tell the FDA. That's the only systematic tracking. And it's a vast underestimation because most women who have complications from a drug-induced abortion do not go back to their abortion provider. Most of them go to the emergency room. So 
the abortion provider has very little idea of what complications actually exist. And so the abortion industry has very little idea. And most of the papers published about abortion complications are published by the abortion industry. So you can see how it's been a don't ask, don't tell situation as far as abortion complications. What we do know is that of women who experience uh, a, a drug-induced abortion, that, it, that at, least, at least four times more women have complications than a, woman, than a woman who has a surgical abortion at a similar gestational age. The further along she is in pregnancy, the higher the complications. And that's because drug-induced abortion becomes less and less effective the further and further you are in pregnancy. So for example, at six weeks, seven weeks gestation very early, and that's three weeks after she misses her period. At that point in time, she has, you know, she's likely, she's about 95% likely to complete that abortion. But when you get to 13 weeks and 14 weeks, almost 30% of women hemorrhage and require emergency surgery. So it's, it's, dangerous and the further along in pregnancy, the more dangerous. And what's even worse is that most women who become, well, of women who become pregnant, half of them do not have an accurate idea of how far along in pregnancy they are. So we know from studying women who want to keep their pregnancies that when you do that first trimester ultrasound about half the time, you have to change the due date because the ultrasound is so far off from what the woman thinks. Mm -hmm. So with the, the abortion industry pushing for complete demedicalization, then what we're gonna have is we're gonna have women who are much further along in pregnancy than they think they are, and they're gonna hemorrhage. And if they don't have access to an emergency room, that hemorrhage could lead to death. So can you tell me what exactly does hemorrhaging mean? Can you describe like, I'm not familiar with what that is. Okay, hemorrhaging is when you bleed. So you're uh, in a in a term pregnancy. You you can lose your entire blood volume in five minutes. Okay, so when you deliver, it's really important that you deliver in a place that's safe. <laughs> when you are in, uh, when you use a drug-induced abortion, the chemical mifeprex actually keeps your uterus from contracting down, the, the blood vessels from contracting. So it chemically keeps you from being able to stop the flow of blood mm. after you deliver the baby. And that's why Mifeprex is so dangerous later in the pregnancy because Mifeprex is not as effective in separating the tissue. And when even when it does, your uterus doesn't clamp down as well. So hemorrhaging looks like Looks like one woman whose adverse event I, I um, reviewed who had to have 10 units of blood because she was bleeding so much and others who, who lost over half their blood volume. And so, the only reason they lived is because they were close enough to an emergency room to make it. But had they been out in the rural area, which is where the abortion drugs are being pushed, then they would have died. If they couldn't have reached the emergency room in time to get transfused, they would have died. So, so Mifeprex essentially creates it so someone's more likely to bleed more based on one of the results of taking that Mifeprex? Correct. Well, based on one of the things that Mifeprex does in the body. One of the things that it does is it interferes with the ability of the tiny blood vessels in the uterus, which in pregnancy are not so tiny, interferes with the ability of those blood vessels to contract and stop bleeding. So... It <laughs> if someone had a miscarriage, would that essentially be less dangerous to them than Mifeprex because they essentially maintain that ability to stop the bleeding? Or how would you compare yeah. a miscarriage experience maybe to a person that took Mifeprex? Well, actually, it's a very interesting question because there was a push to use Mifeprex and Mesoprostol in the management of spontaneous miscarriage. And what they found was, yes, it does cause the tissue to pass, but the women who had Mifeprex had higher bleeding than women who didn't. Okay. So it, it has been studied and Mifeprex does cause an increase in bleeding in those women. 
So is Mifeprix like as the only regiment or pill? Is that um, is that legal in the United States? Yes, Mifeprix was uh, approved uh, for the purpose of abortion in 2000. And that in and of itself is a whole nother podcast. But here we have in 2000, the FDA approving a drug that treats no disease. And not only doing that, but approving it on a fast track. Hmm. Um, even though it's worse, its outcome is worse than surgical abortion. So like I said, that's a whole nother podcast. But yes, it is, it is legal. The FDA did put, at that time of approval, the FDA did put some restrictions on the use of the drug because FDA has very little ability to control how a drug is used after it grants approval. But one of the few ways it can control somewhat how a drug is used is by something called the REMS, the Risk Evaluation Mitigation Strategy. Currently, uh, the REMS is uh, under review. And what, what you have is to the, What is the REMS? The REMS is the Risk Evaluation Mitigation Strategy. It's the, the criteria that the FDA puts on a drug as to how it can be used after it's approved. So the REMS has required that a uh, patient be seen by a doctor, what a thought, before getting Mifeprex. Why? Because a doctor is supposed to tell the patient how far along she is, supposed to find out whether the pregnancy is in her womb or in her tube. If it's mm -hmm. in her tube, it's an ectopic pregnancy. And the symptoms that she'll experience with a Mifeprex abortion, the pain, the bleeding, are exactly the same symptoms as a rupturing ectopic pregnancy. And some women have died because when they called the clinic with their pain and their bleeding, they were told, oh, this is normal. This is part of the Mifeprex abortion. And then they bled to death at home because the ectopic pregnancy ruptured inside. Mm. And they, the, the person who prescribed never ruled out the ectopic pregnancy. So a doctor is supposed to rule out an ectopic pregnancy, supposed to tell a woman exactly how far along she is. Why? Because as her gestational, as the pregnancy gets further and further along, her risk increases. So there's no way that you can give an accurate informed consent to this woman prior to Mifeprex unless you know exactly how far along she is. So, so this, yeah, and, and they were supposed to test for Rogam, uh, for, for RH, uh, for a blood type that is RH negative. And if the woman has an RH negative blood type, she was supposed to receive something called Rogam, which will prevent her from having complications in subsequent pregnancies. All of those things were supposed to happen. The REMS required the in-person doctor visit. Now, the abortion industry says, we don't want an in-person doctor visit because basically the abortion industry wants this drug available without any kind of medical supervision. Why? Well, one reason is Planned Parenthood, the Population Council received the patent to manufacture and distribute Mifeprex, which they then created a shell company called Danco, which has assets in the Cayman Islands, so it can't be sued. Um, and so, so Planned Parenthood Population Council benefit from the sale of Mifeprex. And it's sure a lot cheaper. Uh, you don't have to worry about uh, those pesky physicians sure a lot cheaper to just be able to distribute this drug and get paid for it than to actually do medical care for women. So it's a, it's a huge problem as far as women's safety goes. And uh, it, it is something that would, the, the care that are given to abortion patients are, is something that would be medical malpractice in other aspects of gynecology. Wow, I've got so many questions. <laughs> Okay, I'll well, slow down. No, 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 it's really good. I mean, I, I honestly, I didn't realize that there was, I, I didn't quite know where, where this conversation was going to go, but this is a, this is really helpful. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to ask the, the question based on what you last said, which is, so based on Planned Parenthood's, the company that they created to, and they have a patent on Mifeprix. So they, so they're the only provider of Mifeprix or do they license this to other groups to be able to also use, or is this through their Danco Cayman Island company primarily only? So, <laughs> so back in 2000, yeah, uh, actually in the late nineties, the manufacturer of the drug, Roussel Uclof in France, 
was told to bring the drug to the United States. And they said, we're not gonna do it because the liability is too high in the US medical system. So they gave without cost or maybe a dollar, they gave the right to manufacture and distribute to the Population Council slash Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood and Population Council didn't want the liability either. So they created a shell company called Danco. Danco really doesn't manufacture anything. So they, Danco contracted with Walling Pharmaceuticals in China. And at that time, Walling Pharmaceuticals was under censure by the FDA for shoddy drug manufacturing. But that's where Danco originally got um, the uh, Mifeprex. Now, whether or not they currently still use Walling Pharmaceuticals, I don't know. That's very shrouded in secrecy. But that's how they started. So received the uh, approval from FDA to uh, supply a generic Mifeprex. But what you have to understand with generic drugs is a generic drug is a drug uh, where at least 85% of the pills have at least 85% of the active ingredient. So the quality of these drugs is unknown. Okay. The, what's even more concerning is that these drugs are being mailed from India and China and wherever in the UK being mailed overseas to uh, people who buy them online. And there was one study that was done where the, the drugs are coming in with broken blister packages. And uh, some of the drugs uh, had basically very little active ingredient in them, no quality control at all. And so women are really risking their lives when they use these drugs without any quality control. They're risking their lives when they use Mifeprex anyway but especially the online, unsupervised, unregulated drugs that are now available online are particularly dangerous. Wow. I, I, so this is a lot of really good information. Once again, I really appreciate you sharing. So generic drugs only are required to have 85%, but that's, eight, that's required probably here in the US. But <laughs> in other countries, I don't think there would be any, who would be this, who would be the authoritative group who would maintain that they have, you know, 85%. Yeah, I don't know. It would probably depend on the country of origin. Okay. But when, it, when something is shipped from one country with a different medical leadership or, you know, medical oversight to a different country, that seems like a, a loophole in order to get, you know, drugs that wouldn't match that country's medical standard. That's a very big loophole and women are paying for it with their lives. So I want to back up a little bit back to ectopic pregnancy and how that matches some of the, um, the bleeding or the experience that someone might have with a Mifeprex uh, or, or an, a medical abortion. Um, so you said that there's not a way to tell the difference between, I mean, without having a medical professional do an ultrasound if someone's doing a do-it-yourself at-home abortion, is there, I mean, it sounds like those are very similar experiences where it could be the, 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 uh, the do-it-yourself abortion, or it could be an ectopic pregnancy. And if it ends up being an ectopic pregnancy, that would essentially mean that the woman's life is now in grave danger. You are right. That's exactly right. Because without an ultrasound at the early gestational ages, you don't know whether the pregnancy is in the womb or in a woman's tube. And about three out of 100 pregnancies will be in a woman's tube. You can't always tell by risk factors. Sometimes a woman yeah. doesn't seem to have any risk factors. So three out of 100 we... seems like quite a bit. Like to me that, I mean, 3%, um, I mean, if I made three half court shots at a basketball game, I would, I would think that 3% would be pretty fun. But but the risk, but the risk in one's life at 3% of the time, like that seems like a very high number to, oh. to, to let through and not have the oversight in these. What does the FDA say about medical, you know, this do-it-yourself abortion and a 3% risk of ectopic pregnancy and how that is not catchable unless it's brought in to have an ultrasound and for medical professionals to look at the data? Well, the original the original back in 2000, 
the original FDA requirements were for an ultrasound prior to administering Mifeprex. And then someone from the abortion industry got on the FDA advisory council. And the, she was employed by the FDA. And all of a sudden that requirement disappeared magically over a three month period of time so that no ultrasound was required. Hmm. What you have to understand about the FDA, unfortunately, is the FDA is under the HHS and the HHS is under the administration in power. So uh, originally the FDA was informed by Bill Clinton that they will approve Mifeprex. Okay, so they were directly, they, they had a direct uh, directive from the president that they would approve this drug way back in 96. So the FDA is not what I wish it were, which is an independent, objective, scientific body looking out for the health of women. The FDA is unfortunately very permeable to political pressure. And Mifeprex is a prime example of the perme permeability of the FDA to political pressure. Hmm. Is it? Um, wow, there's just so much. So under the with Harris as the vice president and based on her track record in California and, you know, being pro, pro, pro abortion, it seems like that political pressure is currently going to maintain Mifeprex as being um, available in the U.S. Or is, is, it, is it currently legal to have Mifeprex or is it currently illegal or is it currently being done beyond the purview of the FDA because it's being shipped from other countries? Like where does Mifeprex currently come from as the do-it-yourself solution that women are choosing or taking on? So the answer to your question is yes, yes, and yes. Okay. It is currently legal in the United States um, for women to be prescribed Mifeprex. It is currently legal for um, doctors to use Mifeprex outside of the FDA uh, guidelines. It would be legal for FDA to find those doctors, but the FDA doesn't do that, even though it would have the ability to find at least the manufacturer for allowing it. But the FDA has never actually enforced anything. And currently the FDA is reconsidering the restrictions altogether. So all of those things are legal, but there's lots of things that are legal that are pretty dangerous and pretty unwise. And the, the willy-nilly use of a strong anti-hormone drug like Mifeprex is, is pretty dangerous. Okay. So, um, so what, do, what, would, what would be helpful to an executive director or a, a, a nurse or doctor who works with a pregnancy clinic? What would be helpful to these people mm -hmm. to know in regards to Mifeprex? And, and, um, and I'm not sure what else to ask about that, but what, what, what do you think would be most helpful? What, what are a few things that, might, that may, they, would, they should know and understand? So one of the most important things for any pregnancy care center to understand and, and to be prepared for is that uh, very soon, within the next few months, it is likely that there will be no restrictions on Mifeprex whatsoever. So what they're likely to see is an increasing number of women who've never had an ultrasound, who don't know how far along they are, and who've taken Mifeprex. It's really gonna be important that every pregnancy care center become familiar with abortion pill reversal. Because the one thing that over-the-counter Mifeprex or mail-order Mifeprex or, or uh, Mifeprex taken at home, the one thing that will happen is that women will change their mind. And they'll change their mind in an increasing number because they won't be under the same kind of high-pressure in-person um, pressuring that happens at the abortion clinic. So it will be important for pregnancy care centers to be prepared with ultrasound, to be prepared with referrals to a, a abortion pill reversal, which by the way, is very safe. Progesterone has been used for 50 years in OB-GYN. The infertility industry requires it in early pregnancy. It, it's completely safe. And the, the information that's being, uh, the misinformation that's being bantied around about progesterone 
being dangerous is completely uh, blinding snow to, to be polite. Um, so uh, it's important that you, uh, that every pregnancy care center can consider uh, getting their medical director to be an abortion pill reversal provider. We can help you do that. You can go to our website, uh, which is AAPLOG, American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, or you can go directly to the APR website, um, abortion pill reversal or abortion pill rescue. And you can be put in contact with people that can help that pregnancy care center uh, director to understand how to become an abortion pill reversal uh, practitioner, uh, which is quite simple, and the administration of progesterone, and also answer any questions that they may have. And I'm happy to uh, also answer questions. You can reach me at communications at applog.org, and we can send you information. And on our website, we have the public website, which is aaplog.org, there's a tab at the top that says resources and under our practice bulletins, you can find information about abortion pill reversal, the, the medical scientific information that your director will want to know. So when, when it comes to abortion pill reversal, um, one thing that I've been trying to grapple with would be, so it makes sense that it reverses, I think it's about 60% when someone takes the, the first pill designed to starve the baby that APR regimen can reverse that um, and essentially help provide you know, um, uh, substance to that unborn child to, to not starve. But what, what happens when someone takes that second pill as the only pill? Is there any, any, any is, you know, what is, has anything been tried? to reverse that decision? Or is there anything that might be on the, on the horizon being researched to try and reverse the Mifeprix um, yeah. abortion? Well, un unfortunately, mesoprostol works in a different way. That's the second drug. Oh, okay. So mesoprostol, uh, there is no known reversal for mesoprostol because it works in a different way. The way Mifepristone works, the way Mifeprex works, is that it binds to the progesterone receptor in the nucleus of a cell. And enough progesterone can, enough natural progesterone can kick that mifeprex off so that the cell keeps functioning. Okay. The way the mesoprostol works is it causes the uterus to squeeze down. And so it works by cutting off the blood flow to the baby altogether. So there isn't a really good way, there's no drug that I know of that will keep the mesoprostol from constricting the uterus from, from causing the uterus to clamp down. Okay. And, and unfortunately that cutting off of the blood flow can cause malformations in the baby. How often depends on the gestational age that it's taken at, but um, you know, it could be, you know, seven, eight, 9% of the time causing the kind of malformations you see when blood flow is cut off to the baby. So Mifeprix is the first out of the yes. two pill regimen. Yeah. And then Misopristol is the second. So Misopristol is essentially expelling the baby, it sounds like. Well, Mifeprix is the one that starves it. And then Misopristol would then expel or, you know, baby coming. That's, that's yes, that's essentially it. That's essentially it. There's, there's some overlap. Um, Mifeprex, the first drug, makes the uterus more sensitive to Misoprostol as well so okay um is is this you know if, if, with, with all the dangers that, with it, when it comes to that second pill of misopristol being used um has there been um legal battles going on when it comes to the health of the woman being endangered with her taking it and the you know la later months of pregnancy and the complexity of what happens then well, the legal battles that should ensue are that the woman who is given mesoprostol and has a complication should sue her abortionist for the complication. I mean, this is, this is an off-label use of mesoprostol. And we know that mesoprostol, uh, the further along that you are in pregnancy and you attempt a chemical abortion, the higher the risk. And women are not being told this. They're not being told about the risks of hemorrhaging, about the risk of tissue left inside. They're not being told that mesoprostol itself can depress a woman's immune system and make her more susceptible to 
a very uh, fatal infection called Clostridium sordellii, Mifeprex can as well. That's where in the first four years, there were four women in California that died, four healthy, normal women that were dead two weeks after starting the abortion procedure because of a fatal infection with Clostridium sordellii, a, a kind of bacteria that the rest of us can fight off all the time. It's in the soil. So this is not what women are being told. They're not being told about the risks, the risks of infection, the risk of hemorrhage, the, the risk of tissue left inside, and the risk of failure. They're not being told that if they take it at 14 weeks, they got a 30% chance of needing surgery, one out of three. Okay, it's an informed consent issue. And if a woman has a complication and she was not given appropriate informed consent, she ought to, she ought to look at challenging that. Is there a, a chance of hemorrh hemorrhaging with the mistopristol, that second pill is the only pill? Yeah, the, reason, the risk of hemorrhage comes from the fact that the baby was never meant to be separated from the mom. So the, the blood vessels of the baby's placenta and the blood vessels of the mom intertwine. And at that early gestational age, before about 20 weeks, before, yeah, maybe 16 weeks, they're, they're really, really tightly intertwined. And so separating them is incomplete. And sometimes you have little pieces of tissue that are left. It isn't until later in the pregnancy that there's a separation layer that forms called Nidabuck's layer that allows for a smoother separation of the mom and the baby when the baby was naturally supposed to come out. So when you take away the, 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 the baby and there's, it's easy to get tissue from the placenta left inside. And that's the issue. The issue is retained tissue because. Um, what happens to that to retained tissue if it stays in there? Does it, does it create an infection? What are the, what are the chances of like, what, what can happen to it? Okay. So what can happen to it is that you can get an infection because anytime you have dead tissue anywhere in the body, it can get infected. Even if it's not infected though, tissue that's left inside can set up kind of a chronic inflammation because it's not the mom's tissue. It's the baby's tissue. Baby has a different tissue type than the mom does. And when the progesterone levels from her pregnancy go down and she doesn't have the same immune tolerance you know, to, to baby's tissues that she had before, so you can set up chronic inf inflammation. And two things that we hate to see in OB, one of them is cervical damage from, you know, from uh, using a, from dilating the cervix, and the other thing we hate to see is inflammation because both inflammation in the uterus and dilation of the womb at early gestational ages by a DNC, both of them can lead to premature labor, preterm birth in subsequent pregnancies. So there's over 60 studies in the, I'm sorry, not 60, 160 studies in the medical literature over the last five decades, which have shown that women who have abortions, surgical abortions, and medical abortions that require surgical completion, that those women are at greatly increased risk of having premature labor in the subsequent pregnancy. And that premature labor is at the edge of viability, 22 to 26 weeks, the preemies that barely make it. So abortion is a setup for preterm birth and subsequent pregnancies. And preterm birth, it can result in significant complications for their future children or the inability to have children. Hmm. So it doesn't, does, does, when someone's, someone's looking to get this, do, do these websites list out the, the risks? Do plan, does Planned Parenthood describe these lists? Like what, what's the experience <laughs> at these places that are providing this? It's painful. Go, go to some of the websites, just Google it and go to it. They will say it's 100% safe. There are no complications. Women can do this as they want in the privacy of their home, not saying that what that means is you're on your own, baby. If you have a complication, it's your problem. So, so no, women are not being told what the complications are. And when any literature is quoted, they quote abortion industry studies, which look at how many women come back to Planned Parenthood for their complications. Well, very few. And the reason is because a lot of abortion clinics, when you have a complication after hours, they'll say, thank you very much. You have reached Women's Center. If you have a problem, please go to your local emergency room. So the Women's Center never knows that the woman has a complication. So it, it, it is a, a miserable um, 
lack of informed consent that women are having prior to undergoing abortion. I was watching this video uh, about do-it-yourself abortions, and this group was promoting um, to go into the ER, but not to tell the medical team that you took uh, Mr. Pristol, but rather just to say that you're having a, a miscarriage because it, the treatment wouldn't differ. But the, the fact that you know, women are being told, well, this group was telling women to not be truthful with their medical team. First of all, that raises a concern of, of getting bad treatment for what's really going on when someone's not being honest exactly. with what they did. But secondly, is there a danger when it comes to some you know, misapristal versus a miscarriage? I'm, I'm guessing that there's got to, it sounds like there could be some differences when it comes to how the body is treating these pieces involved here. Yes, there is a difference. And that's because with a miscarriage, generally the baby has died a week or so before the woman actually starts bleeding. So the separation has already started, the separation of the placenta from the mom's tissues. With a Mifeprex abortion, that's not true. It's been hours to days. And so these blood vessels have not closed. So the mm. risk of hemorrhage is much greater. With a spontaneous miscarriage, the risk of getting a serious infection like Clostridium cerdelii is much higher with Mifeprex than it is with spontaneous abortion. And, and again, if you, it, these women may not even know their gestational age. So it's very hard for the ER doc to know whether they're dealing with a very small placental bed or whether they're dealing, dealing with a very large placental bed. Because by the time you've miscarried and you just have tissue left inside, it's hard to tell what the gestational age was. And further, if the woman is coming in with an ectopic pregnancy and she said she's passed the tissue at home, well, the ER doc may think this is a spontaneous miscarriage, there's nothing in the uterus, but they won't necessarily think, oh my goodness, maybe this is an ectopic pregnancy. So, and, and I've seen all of these things happen in the adverse event reports that I and my research team reviewed. We've seen all of these things happen. And, and in addition, there are women who come in to say they've spontaneously miscarried when, or, or, or that they're pregnant and miscarrying and there's no evidence of a baby inside the womb. So they undergo surgery because somebody thinks they might have an ectopic pregnancy. So that's a completely unnecessary surgery because the woman lied. Um, so all of this is happening. It's, it's a really risky to her to not tell the truth to the doctor and give the doctor the ability to actually do the correct differential diagnosis. So I've got one more question I wanna ask at least. So uh, when someone, someone's pregnant and they take misoprostol to expel the baby uh, prematurely, and they're at home probably by themselves in their bathroom thinking that the literature is true and it's going to be something that they can take care of with heavy bleeding mm -hmm. what happens when they deliver a live baby like what's what 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 is the possible world you know what does that world look like when it comes to someone delivering a live baby and let's say that they were three months along because they didn't know when they, you know, they, they, they took the, they, they started late or who, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't stay, they didn't, you know, what, would, what does that look like what, when, it, when it comes to like delivering a baby by someone's self alone in a bathroom? And, and then are, are women, what are they, are they flushing these young babies that are born alive who are, you know, very premature? What, I mean, what, what's, what exactly is this looking like? Well, it's very sad. If you want to, uh, ever want to cry sometime, I think there's a website, I think it's called Abortion Changes You. And uh, it's just women's stories. Um, it, it's, it's very difficult on these women when they were told, you just have a blob of tissue inside and what comes out is, is a baby where they can see the hands and feet and you know the face. And uh, it's, it's very difficult, psychologically very difficult. And so my heart goes out to those women who are basically abandoned in the process of, of aborting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you kind of said it all. Where does it happen? Women can bleed anywhere from three days to three weeks. When will they abort? Most women will abort within about six hours of taking the mesoprostol but not all of them will. 
and some of them will abort days later. And again, it depend, it varies depending on gestational age. All of those studies were done in very early pregnancies. Hmm. So the later gestational ages, they're likely to abort later. Um, yeah, women are being used as guinea pigs in this. And it's, it's all an issue of, uh, frankly, abandonment of women who are, who are in the process of miscarrying. It is very sad. It, it's very, um, it feels very sad. It feels like a system that is full of hate towards life and people. And it's exercising strategically how to destroy people, it feels like. Um, sure does, doesn't it? And, um, and don't forget the money behind it. See, it takes money to care for people. You, you, have to, you have to pay for people's time, okay? It's very cheap for the abortion industry to give you a drug and then say, why oh, why oh, you know? It, it doesn't involve much on their part. Yeah, that's true. So there, and then the fact that, well, yeah, and it feels like there's, what, what oversight does the FDA have? I guess they have act, they have supposed, well, then I may not exercise it, but they, they should have oversight over the drugs being shipped in from the Cayman Island owned entity, that even though the, yeah, but these, and then these drugs are being manufactured out of India or China, which are completely different worlds when it comes to the value of well, life. And you know, you know what's even worse? Somewhat different. But. What, what, what just kills me is that some of these online sites offer bulk discounts for Mifeprex. Who oh do you my. think would want a bulk discount for Mifeprex other than a pimp or an abuser? Who do you think would want that? There's no guarantee as to who's buying these drugs. And there's no guarantee as to who's adjusting these drugs. So this just opens, this just greases the wheels for pimps and abusers to manage their herd. It's so obscene. Mm. And, and there should be a national feminist outcry over this. Where is it? It's, yeah, it's, it's um, there, there is, there's no silver lining. It's just full of death. So, so when women reach out to a pregnancy clinic because they feel like they've been lied to, they've been injured, they've been hurt mm -hmm. um, by the message, you know, by this treatment that they, and then they find out, you know, through experience that it's different. Um, are women, I, I guess women are probably are being invited into post-abortion counseling as, as one way to reach out and help these women afterwards or or if, it, if they've taken if they've taken the first pill mifepristic mifeprix and they have changed their mind and they reach out to a pregnancy clinic then they could be connected with an apr regiment through a doctor mm -hmm. or nurse um so it seems like that's probably and it just seems like there's such a you know i feel like when you when you said at one point you mentioned that Planned Parenthood is pushing for demedicalization of, of this treatment. That essentially that reflects a lot of things. It also reflects what you said about the, you know, reducing the, the cost of, you know, the medical costs tied to it. It also seems to reflect um, making it more available and, and having less consequences for the people who provide it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around that demedicalization. Um, and it also seems like it invites people to take it more often at the wrong time or later times, which increase the, the complexities and dangers of it. You said it. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's um, first of all, what people have to realize is that elective abortion has no medical indication. That's why it's elective. Okay, if there's no medical reason to separate the mother and the baby, then it's not medical care. It's something else. It may be social control. It may be depopulation. It may be, it, but it's not medical care. Medical care doesn't kill. That's what the Hippocratic Oath is all about. We, we took that oath to say, we will not kill our patients. We won't kill them by euthanasia and we won't kill them by abortion. So, Planned Parenthood has pretended all these years that somehow abortion is medical care 
And now they're saying, well, it's really not medical care because you really don't need anybody medical involved, but you can't have it both ways. And it, they're, they're, they're admitting to the fact that it really isn't medical care and that it is something that is just about access, which on Planned Parenthood side, access means money. Okay, the more you access the drug pusher's drug, the more money the drug pusher makes. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of the situation that we have here. So um, yeah, it, it is not a good or safe situation for women. And women are gonna have to really look two or three or four times to get the information before they even think about doing an abortion. And, and most pregnancy care centers are, are gonna need to start being prepared to see more and more women who have done this to themselves at an unknown gestational age. Ultrasound is gonna be critically important for pregnancy care centers. And also being part of the abortion pill reversal network is gonna be really important. Well, can you tell me what, what is the Hippocratic oath that a medical professional takes at the time of you know, can't because it feels like, you know, how does an how does an abort how does a doctor or nurse who takes that oath connect with providing something that would not be considered care for all patients involved? <laughs> well, that's a whole other podcast, but I'd, <laughs> I'd love to go go over it just real briefly with you. Sure. Unfortunately, the actual Hippocratic oath hasn't been taken. Uh, at most medical schools since the 1980s. And that was a reaction to introducing elective abortion. Because really? it, it was, was actually really tied to that? That elective, you can't do an elective abortion if you've taken the Hippocratic Oath. It, it explicitly says, I will not do an abortion. It's not mincing words. It also explicitly says, I won't participate in assisted suicide or euthanasia. It explicitly says that. So in order to get around that, medical schools... <laughs> often started to create their own oaths, which say things like, I will, I vow to make the planet green and I, I vow to use society's resources well. And none of that has to do with the doctor-patient relationship. Mm. The doctor-patient relationship is established by the oath, which says, I will never hurt you. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what I'm paid, no matter what pressure is put on me, I will not hurt you as a matter of integrity, as a matter of medical integrity. And so those practitioners who do abortions are violating the Hippocratic Oath. Maybe they never took it. Maybe they don't care. But they're they are violating what has been a basic tenet of medical ethics for 2,500 years. I did not know that the Hippocratic Oath was not currently being taken by current new newer doctors since the, since the 80s. In um, many in many places, I won't say places. all places, okay. but in many places, it's not taken. And the, and the oaths that are being taken have barely anything to do with not hurting people. Yeah, they have to do with social justice. They have to do with other things, but it's not, it's not the, I will not kill you. Because yeah, <laughs> I can't think of any other frictional point beyond abortion and euthanasia that connects with not taking the Hippocratic Oath because it's a, it seems like a very beautiful statement of care. Um, yeah. Um, but it, obviously it, it, it's at odds with providing uncare or abortion. I'll tell you something that would change the face of medicine. If every person that hears this podcast, the next time they go to their physician says, hey, doc, did you take the Hippocratic oath? What oath did you take? And, and ask them. That would change the face of medicine. Because what we need is we need a patient-centered accountability on physicians. And if your doc didn't take the Hippocratic Oath, the real one, the one that says, I won't do abortion and euthanasia, you might want to find another doctor. Yeah. And then, or if he didn't, or she didn't, perhaps they could take it today. You know, I don't see why a doctor couldn't take it if it wasn't part of their medical school's, you know, tradition, their newer tradition. Well, um, no, I didn't pay you to say that, but since you have said it, <laughs> Please advertise <laughs> the opportunity to take, yes. the, take the Hippocratic Oath today. <laughs> yes, Eplog has uh, regional gatherings around the country. We've started them this year to offer Hippocratic Oath re-swearing, to explain what the oath is, to offer doctors an opportunity to retake it. Our next oath, uh, our next ceremony, excuse me, our next uh, uh, gathering, it's a regional gathering. Our next gathering is in Utah on November 6th, but you can also join virtually. We've had docs join us from all over the world. 
Oh, that's so cool. Can, and, and if you go to our website, you'll see it. It's it's the Hippocratic Gatherings is what we call them. Um, wow. I had no idea that you were involved in that. I, yeah. I, 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 it just came up <laughs> out of conversation. So, well, we recognized the need just like you did. And we said, what can we do about it? We can offer docs. We can educate them about the oath. And we can offer them an opportunity to actually re-swear it. And we send you a certificate and a pin to remind you to post in your office. This is what the oath is. And it, it's, a, it's a pledge between you and your patients. It, it, it is your patients, um, it's, it's your patients guarantee that you're gonna be on their side and not on the side of somebody who wants to cut costs. Now, you know? the, the Hippocratic Oath that someone could take coming up in November, is it the same exact um, verbiage and words that's been used <laughs> in ages ago? I mean, pre 80s, oh. <laughs> or is it what? slightly different? The oath is in Greek, so none of us oh. speak Greek. <laughs> but yeah. it is it is essentially the same oath, the same seven tenets of the oath. I can I can read it to you. Sure, please um, do. Okay. Those who have taught me the art of medicine, I will respect and will seek to faithfully impart my knowledge to those who accept this covenant and to whom I am a mentor. I will always seek the physical and emotional well-being of my patients according to my ability and judgment, being careful to do no intentional harm. I will not help a patient commit suicide, nor will I suggest such a course. Similarly, I will not help a woman obtain an abortion. In purity and holiness, I will maintain the utmost respect for human life, carefully guarding my role as a healer. When indicated, I will seek the counsel of those with appropriate special skills for the treatment of my patient. I will always act for the benefit of the sick, treating all with professional and moral integrity, with respect and dignity, I will avoid all sexual involvement with my patients. Those things that I have learned from or about my patients in confidence, I will hold in strictest confidence. May I be found faithful to these promises and may I enjoy the practice of my art, being respected as one who is dedicated to the healing of the sick. That's the oath, I have it on my wall. Oh, yeah. up there. So, so it's seven, seven tenets, you know, patient confidentiality, don't have sex with patients, don't take advantage of them, be humble enough to to uh, refer to other people, don't do abortions and try to teach other people who also adhere to this oath. So that those are the seven tenets. It's easy and important and was the basis of medical ethics for 2,500 years. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of guessing that the word abortion wasn't in the original from 2,500 oh. years ago because they probably didn't use that word. That's it, a newer modern word. So I'm assuming that might've been added within the last 80, 50 years or something, right? No, that word was there. Was it People really? knew about abortion. That's, that's why the oath was taken. See, in Hippocrates' day, and this is 2,500 years ago, doctors would do whatever you paid them for. You, you wanted them to abort you, they'd abort you. You wanted them to kill off your husband, they'd kill off you for a price. And Hippocrates said, no, that's not what medicine is. Medicine is a healing art. So he was a reform movement among the physicians of that day. Wow. Physicians have known about abortion for a long time. I mean- 2,500 it, years? I, yeah. I, did, I had no idea that that language would have been yeah. the same language. I mean, the same language today is being, it, it had that longevity, that, that you know, those historic roots and that it was that language back then. That's a- Yeah, that speaks, yeah remember it was in Greek, <laughs> but, yeah, but yes, but, the, same, the same idea, abortion. Wow. Yeah, if only we had the the ESV, the NIV, and the NAS version of the Hippocratic Oath that had the same meaning, but yet with like modern language. Of course, that's so easy to understand. There's really not a need for it to be paraphrased because it feels like it's very, it's very clear. Of, it's very clear. It's not like we're we're talking about these and thous, and I get a little bit confused on what word we're using. But yet, it's really just a matter of care for the patient with like seven angles of care. And uh, it, it feels relatively complete when it comes to very broad, beautiful, good ideas being described about patient care. Yeah. And, and for that to be removed because of the desire and need or whatever, not, not need, but the desire to kill people in certain situations, essentially when they have the least amount of voice or quote benefit or value to some people in society based on their ability, or I mean, who knows what, I mean, so not, not, I don't want to even try and explore that thought process, but 
the the people who are most vulnerable are the ones that are being eliminated eliminated yeah yeah it's a utilitarian worldview see it's a worldview that says we'll maximize the happiness of the state okay so if you don't if you don't contribute to making the state happy if you mm. cost too much at the beginning or the end well, it's a good thing to, to knock you off. That's what the utilitarian view says. And that's unfortunately the viewpoint that, that has overtaken society. There's some really good, really good books I could recommend to you about this and really good authors. Leon Cass writes outstanding, uh, wrote outstanding stuff about um, the role of medicine and what it means to be a physician. A, a physician just isn't anything. It's, there's a specific role to being a healer. And that does not include knocking people off. It just doesn't. Do, do people who are not doctors or nurses take the Hippocratic Oath? Or is there a similar oath for other professions? That I don't know. Um, okay. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's oaths for other professions. But the Hippocratic Oath is, was specifically for physicians. But there's nothing to keep a nurse from doing that. She's also, she or he are also part of the healing professions. So Frankly, it, it really should be the foundation now of medical ethics for all the healing professions. Um, what does it look like to take the Hippocratic Oath? Is it a matter of saying it out loud with like someone's hand up in the air? Or what, what, is, like, what does the posture well, look like and what does the experience look like? <laughs> well, I can only tell you what we have done to encourage this. And we've had about now probably eight ceremonies, Hippocratic Oath ceremonies. And what it has involved uh, in smaller groups at breakfast or lunch or supper or at our national conference, it involves a time where those of us who have been in practice stand and we reaffirm the oath and those of us who are taking it for the first time stand and we, in unison, we recite what I just recited to you exactly word for word. And then, you know, we offer the opportunity for people to, to get a copy to frame to put in their office to remind them so that's what it looks like okay. um, but the catholic medical association has also had hippocratic oath swearing ceremonies with a, a catholic version of the oath which is really really similar there's just a okay. few minor things um and, and they've done that for decades so they would uh, do that at the um graduation ceremonies of medical students at ca in uh, places where the um Catholic Medical Association uh, has associated medical schools, they would offer the ceremony, like I participated in one uh, as a speaker, uh, oh, years ago up in, um, in Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, different people do it different places, but really it, it's a matter of taking this. And I mean, in public is, when we say things in public and we stand for things in public, it really hits us in a different way than when we read something to ourselves, but it can be done anyway. Uh, it's a matter of saying, this is the oath. This is, this is what I believe in forms the foundation of my medical practice. And this is how I'm going to live. And, you know, so help me God. This is how so I'm gonna live. Have, have uh, abortion clinic workers or, you know, a doctor who works at an abortion clinic, have they, do you know of them wanting to say the Hippocratic Oath and then being refused? Or what happens if someone like that does try and take the Hippocratic Oath and then they're not upholding it? Like, what would be the next step of, you know, like there's, I don't, I don't, is there a governing body that would say you took this Hippocratic Oath, but yet, yet here you are, you know, performing abortions well, and you know, your, your oath is you know, what, you know what, what would be the, what would be the result of someone having um, a conflicting decision with what the oath says? There's no governing body. It's a matter of personal integrity. Yeah. It's a matter of professional integrity. But I will have to say there are we have in Applog a lot of docs who performed abortions and came to the realization that they were hurting their patients, and and that realization, that moment of of changing of heart is something that needs to be respected because many of these doctors thought that they were doing the right thing. They really didn't understand how bad it is for women. And when they understood, they changed. So, yeah. so I, don't want, I don't want to ever 
demonize the docs that are doing abortions. I think they're grossly mistaken, but I think that if they, if they dig, if they try to see what it really is doing to their patients, those who have integrity will, will change. I mean, you all know Abby Johnson. Yeah. She's not a physician, it's, but yes. you, all, you all know Tony Levitino. Okay. Well, and Tony Abby Johnson's um, ministry of, the, and then there were none, in, in, yeah. or Tony, but yeah, calling people out of the abortion clinic right. and offering them love right. and care and not, and not judgment, but rather right. helping provide them with healing and right. a pathway to meet Jesus or, you know, I mean, they met Jesus and that's why they're now changing. They're probably, that's probably more realistic is that they, anyways, but all that I say is it, it's, it's not calling for them to be imprisoned or to right. be punished, but rather for them to be cared for Hippocratic oath style <laughs> with them yeah. receiving that care and love. Um, and, and, and to re yeah. reimagine their practice to, to re re-understand yeah. what they were called to, you know, it's, it's a better thing to heal than to kill. Well, that's really beautiful. And I think that might be a good end to this, this story and this dialogue. Um, and wow, that's just the Hippocratic Oath. What a beautiful thing. Like that, that is just um, that's something that needs to be embraced. And I'm so excited to hear that you are promoting and, yeah. you know, re rejuvenating that, that self-governing idea that I'm going to provide the best care and not hurt those who I'm caring for.